if you're getting a little bit better every day and you're feeling more yourself, your perspective is different. You, do you, have you ever heard perspectacles? I really love that. It's probably, is that what you're wearing on your face today? These are perspectacles that, um, it's the idea that depending on your headspace, you see things so differently. And so the self-care is crucial. This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor-patient or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. And because each person is so unique, all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. Welcome to We're Not Fine. I'm Dr. Talia Jackson. And I'm Doug Jensen. We thank you for listening every week to our deep and thought-provoking conversations about relationships. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of We're Not Fine. Your relationship podcast that sometimes acknowledges really big, hard, crazy things that are happening in the world. And this is one of those days. Um, And so we're going to be talking about global trauma overall today. Um, But we also want to make an acknowledgement. That, you know, we just want to acknowledge the painful state of the world right now. And after the terrorist attacks on Israel last week and the avalanche of senseless terror and murders that have occurred since then on innocence on the Israeli and the Palestinian side and Americans as well. Um, your people that have a connection to the Middle East are, are really not okay right now. And I know everybody knows that. And we just today want to acknowledge the state of the world so that we can talk about how do we care for ourselves and others during these times. And one of the things that Tali and I might actually acknowledge is that this was a difficult episode to pull together for us. Like we had a hard time kind of sorting out how do we stay true to the We're Not Fine podcast? How do we keep this about relationships, which, of course, it is in many ways, um, because really everybody that we know and everybody out there has been impacted by what's going on right now. Um, as well as love somebody who has been impacted by this. And so, you know, we're trying today to kind of figure out not only what is the emotional experience that people might be having, but also how to manage it, how to be supportive to those other people in your life. Um, And I think that's a very complicated issue when it comes to something that has political and religious and and other uh, factors associated with it. And I mean, I know that I've mentioned before, and that was beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Um, I know I've mentioned before that my family's Israeli and my mom and I are the only ones that are here in the United States. My mom's sister and brother, their children, their grandchildren, my whole family is in Israel. And so, of course, this is not a neutral topic. I mean, I don't think it's a neutral topic for anybody. But what I do want to say is that it's been really it's been a really hard week. And it feels so helpless to be this far away from family and loved ones and to know that, you know, they're sleeping in their bomb shelters or that they're like scared that their kids are 
army age and just got released from the army and now all the reserves are being called in. I mean, every parent, caregiver, grandparent, every child is terrified right now. And as since I'm not the one who's there and suffering in the middle of a crisis, it's been this experience of, I mean, it's been so incredibly heartwarming. People have been coming out of the woodwork just asking how I am, asking how the family is, giving love and giving support. And it has made me think so much about if you don't know how it feels or if you're embarrassed, because I know I have been when something terrifying happens to another cultural group. And I sometimes will feel like, gosh, I don't even know if I have the right to say something i don't even know exactly what's happening i but i will tell you my god does it make a huge difference to feel like there are people that support you and love you and care about you so if you're wondering or if you're on the fence or if you feel like oh gosh that was a week ago or two weeks ago i can't say anything now do do it and also just this feeling of helplessness that I wanted to address of like, we, what can we even do? Um, and it was just, to, you know, I've been talking to my family a lot, but even just today, my cousin reached out and was like, could you edit this letter that I'm sending to my company so that they can understand? Because it's not an Israeli-based company. And I was like, oh, thank God. I felt 0.0001% helpful and Oh, but we can also at the end of this episode in our show notes, we can find resources that um, if you do want to help in any way, financially or otherwise, we can have some links there. I'll also say, you know, one of the things and because I don't have family in Israel and yet I love my friend and co-host Talia and her family. Um, what I would say is that, you know, this is a very complex issue as well. And we're being infiltrated by the media and the news and there are different points of view and depending on what news station you're listening to, um, there's all kinds of things being said right now. And so, you know, I just want to acknowledge too that kind of sorting out what your feelings are and what's real and what's not real and what what uh, what your thoughts are about this can be very complicated uh, in terms of a dialogue. And I want to normalize that for everybody because this is a very complex issue. And I don't know, um, I'm sure there are people that would disagree with me and they have their own points of view on this that are very, very clear. Um, but I think it's complicated. And I, I think going back to what you said, Tali, about like, you know, how do you talk to people about this? Um, how do you say something? I think we can't be afraid of acknowledging we're not sure what to say, you know, and we're not sure the right thing to say. And we don't want to walk on eggshells and we don't want to, uh, you know, potentially hurt somebody, um, which has, you know, been part of our dialogue. It's it's really hard to have. I, uh, you know, you can be 100 percent supportive to somebody and still not say the right things. Right. But it's important to say something, as Talia said. So I want to talk a little bit as well about on a much more broad cultural level, you know, related to like PTSD, related to trauma, related to um, high level emotional stuff. You know, we've been through and I can just mention, uh, you know, 9-11 and the Pulse nightclub shooting and uh, our election debacle uh, that we have going on in our culture right now. George Floyd's murder, um, what's going on in Ukraine. I think we have all kinds of things in the Middle East. I think we have all kinds of things that we've all been like, you 
introduced to. And what is striking to me is that some people have really, as a means of coping, kind of decided not to watch the media or news. You know, Talia and I were talking about the episode uh, and the, you know, what we wanted to discuss. And you were talking about how, you know, we're all just bombarded and we're all kind of addicted to it. I have people who don't even know what's happening um, that I'm working with. And so I think there's a part of this that people cope differently. And after 9-11, you know, where the, you know, the show was going on and on and the, uh, they were showing that man uh, tumbling to his death regretfully in a, in a really tragic, tragic way. Um, it was hard to watch. Right. And so I think one of the things that we're going to talk about is like how to manage some of that stuff. But it is normal to have almost a peripheral traumatic response to all that's going on and confusion and fear. And it's very easy for us to sit here, you know, in this studio, but also in our comfortable homes and not necessarily worry about somebody bombing us or worrying about our children getting massacred or whatnot. And, and so it's, it seems fairly far away, but the truth is guys, we're all, you know, part of this global community. And hopefully we can all do something to, you know, not only take care of ourselves, but as we're going to talk about today, like how do we support other people who are affected more personally by this process? Um, but, you know, there's a normal emotional process, you know, trauma. We, we oftentimes when we talk about traumatic reactions, we talk about freeze, flight or or uh, freeze, flight or freeze. No, that's not right. Fight, Fight flight, flight or freeze. Or freeze. Um, and so we oftentimes have those ex experiences when we're in conflict with someone or when we're in a stressful situation. Those are the most common ways that people react. Right. And so I think some of that might be happening if you are personally involved. But what, what we're talking about more today is the impact of having, again, these experiences going on in the world. Uh, where we don't necessarily have something very specifically in front of us that's happening. We are not necessarily the person affected directly by this. But again, we all know somebody who is. So this is about that peripheral trauma and that peripheral grief and that peripheral fear that we have. Um, and so, you know, I think I think the the 24 hour loops that we have in terms of the media, um, we're going to talk about how to manage that because really everybody has to decide what their tolerance level is. That's right. So we're going to talk a little bit about grief next. Well, and I just wanted to say what you were saying yeah. about, I mean, I thought it was so interesting when I was just like, the reason why I brought up the 24 hour loop of media yeah. is, do you know, my sweet coworker over here, Tyler, Hey, Tyler, you know, Hi, D Ty -Ty. DJ Ty Ty, <laughs> he's so cute. Yeah. He's the financial advisor in my building and he's also my mom's neighbor. I don't know if you knew that, but it's I like, did know that. He reached out to me yesterday and he was like, I just, I'm so worried about your mom because she's just like panicking and worried and she's watching this miserable, horrible, you know, this, the media, it's so disturbing on repeat and he heard it really loud in the background. And so I was thinking about like, yes, we have to take care of ourselves around that because yes, we might feel like we need to know what's happening, but it so negatively impacts our nervous systems to be flooded with that kind of um, visual trauma. Yeah. But also when Doug was like, actually, that's not everybody. It's so true. And yeah. it also reminds me, which makes me feel really gross about myself, is that I'm not usually that person either. Usually I'm the person, right? With like, I always send you that meme of the sheep with the head in a red bucket. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I live a lot of my life. So I can right. really appreciate how people are taking care of themselves around that. 
No, it's interesting, though. I agree with you. You, you know, know? And, and sometimes, uh, you know, Tali and I were talking about like the Pulse nightclub is obviously personal to me as a gay man. But and I see it very differently than this global stuff where there's like groups of people and there's, you know, uh, wars going on. Um, but I also will say I didn't even listen to that. I mean, I think there's a point at which that's really painful. I hear the story once and I'm kind of done. Um, and I also know, by the way, given the work that we do, we're going to be processing this with people now for weeks on end. And in order to take care of myself as a clinician, I keep myself away from some of that because I want to hear what people are experiencing instead of my own biases. I want to know what's going on. But, you know, when it's personal to us, we have a lot of different choices we make about that. I know. And it's like a part of, I think, what helps some of us right on that peripheral loop feel more connected and less helpless. But it only makes us feel more helpless, I would yeah. say. Um, we wanted to talk about the emotional and physical symptoms of traumatic stress. Um, some of you may be very well versed. And for some of you, you might not even really be knowing why you're struggling and we just wanted to lay it out for you. So emotional, I'm going to just move through the shock and the disbelief, like having a really hard time believing what's actually happening because it feels so horrific. Um, the fear, all of a sudden it feels like, I don't know about anybody else, but all of a sudden I was like in the middle of a session and there was this plane that sounded like it was way too close to my office. And I was like, like, and when yeah. would that ever happen in Bryn Mawr, right? I don't know, but... One never knows. And then the sadness and the grief, if you know somebody who died or is having some, like, life-altering consequence or crisis, and also even just this collective feeling of trauma and crisis. And yes, the helplessness that I've talked about 5,000 times. There also can be this, like, survivor's guilt. Like... Oh my gosh, I'm in America. Why my mom and I are safe and my loved ones are all panicking, right? There's the anger towards I you could blame who do I blame, right? And and some blame God, you know, if in these situations and I'm not a religious person, but it's like there's so much emotion around this that it's really hard to sit in it without the rage. I mean, it's sort of, you know, sounds a little bit like the stages of grief. It is very much the stages of grief. Yeah. Um, shame over all of the feelings that we're feeling. Yeah. And I think that like Doug and I, who like could not love each other any more than we love each other, could not support each other more than we support each other. We were really struggling this morning trying to figure out how to put this out there. Um, and there's some shame probably on both of our sides. Like how could we not get through this with just like an assumption of love, right? I mean, this is real. This is what happens. Um, and relief, maybe that the worst is over, that you weren't as badly affected as others. I mean, all sorts of like yucky feelings, or maybe there's like a hope that, okay, now that it's over, we'll get back to normal. You know, it's interesting. I want to comment uh, on two things you just said. You know, it was interesting as we were processing this. We have two uh, audiovisual guys that help us out. John and Jeff, love you so much. The best. Um, they are the best. And, you know, they were actually observing us uh, talking about this and trying to get through it. Um, and John made a great observation. You know, he talked about how it is that, you know, if we're struggling and we don't have trouble talking about anything truthfully and we do 
love each other unconditionally and support each other unconditionally. And so I think that we even struggled with this a bit, little bit. Like I found myself saying things that I think were hurtful to you. Um, and that was not my intent because what we were trying to do is find this way of making this about our podcast. Um, and what we don't want to do in general is, is get into some political stuff that is not about mental health or not about relationships and not, well, of course it is though. Um, so this is really, uh, I just want to observe, you know, our own process again, that it was tricky. Um, yes, I think everything you just said, but I, one other comment I want to make. So I don't know that everyone feels safe here in the U S you know, I think for the Jewish community here, um, having had some contact, not only with your family, but others, I have people who are worried about sending their kids to school or worried about synagogue bombings or, or threats or whatnot, anti-Semitic comments getting on the media. I just think it's a really complicated time. So I don't know that people here feel safe and comfortable. Yeah. I don't know if you want to comment on that more, but yeah, um, I mean, 100%. It's just like, it's spiking a lot of, it's a good word. Um, fear, animosity, and hate. Hatred. I just want to say hate. And yep. when people feel angry, yep. there's violence. And it is, it's like, you know, people that declared a, a day of hate. And I had a really hard time deciding whether I wanted to send my kids to school, but I felt like the schools were, um, they handled it so beautifully yep. that it, I felt safe. Yeah. Ish. Safe ish. I mean, right. But and I, you know, I'm one of those kind of uh, simple. I'm not very simple uh, in general, but I'm very simple about war and hate and these sorts of things like these should not be issues that any of us have to deal with. You know, we're part of all this human family and somehow the differences that we have create these horrible experiences that are people are experiencing i could go on and on about that like just the origins of hate or the origins of ignorance or the origins of violence um and compassion and empathy is the antidote it is um and we'll get to that you know i i just want to so going into you know talia kind of talked about uh, a traumatic response and how it oftentimes it will involve a lot of different experiences uh that sound very very similar to grief as we know the stages of grief are, are definitely all part of this process but there are physiological pieces too you know and i think one of one of the things that i just want people to be aware of i always tell my clients like if you can be aware of your body uh bessel van der kolk is a, a trauma specialist who wrote the book uh, the body keeps the score really brilliant title brilliant. um just kind of so easy to roll off all of our mouths and he has the best accent he does i i, I heard him speak in las vegas funny Dutch? enough um oh i don't think so i feel like he's german but i could be wrong I could be wrong. We're going to look into that. Bessel. But he has one of my favorite accents of all time, aside from Scottish and <laughs> Jamaican. Just saying. I am not going to try either. That would be inappropriate. Here's what I want to say. Um, I think we have physiological, physiological responses. Stress, headache, upset stomach. Uh, sleep is one of the most significant things that gets impacted by these things where we're kind of ruminating or we have intrusive thoughts about this. Um, oftentimes, and you know, when I'm really stressed about something or I'm worried about something, I'll, I'll just jar up at like 3 a.m. and be like, Your what day is it? Cortisol. What am I doing? Absolutely. It's like, it like spikes. You can like feel it spike. Absolutely. And so like shallow breathing, like one of the things I, I try to observe in my work with patients is, you know, if I'm, if I'm seeing the not breathing, I'll be like, you know, so you're, you're breathing is really shallow take a deep breath because difficult emotional experiences causes shallow breathing 
fact, I should probably take a breath right now. Um, it's a very good reminder. It is a good reminder, uh, right? Um, but that shakiness or the headaches or the stress or the lack of appetite or the overeating or the use of substances um, to manage and medicate some of these emotions is really strong. You know, after 9-11 in particular, uh, I'm sorry, no, during the pandemic, I'm going to talk more about that. During the pandemic, you know, one of the things that happened in our area is that, you know, people were in an outrage about liquor stores not being open because people needed to medicate. People were, they didn't need to, but they did. Um, and so alcohol um, sales, I don't know the statistics on it, but I'm assuming they went up dramatically. I'm going to say doubled, but that's not based in fact. Yeah, I'm going to say tripled. I don't have fact. I based think on our quadrupled. Own <laughs> 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 but you know, that's it. And so pay attention to your body and kind of figure out where some of that is coming from. And I think, I think I get, you know, I get foggy head, um, I'll call it, you know, I just, I get kind of in my head and I get to think about so much. And if I'm watching things too long, um, it's very helpful for me. I know what I need to do. I either need to work out. I need to lift. I need to go to jujitsu class. I need to, um, watch something like hockey that, you know, helps me get out some of that rage, to be honest. Um, cause I typically have, I go on that. I don't get into that helpless place. I get into that fight place. Um, and so for me, it's about figuring out what that is, but really pay attention specifically to your body and play pay attention to where you're feeling aches and pains or discomfort or headache and make sure that you're breathing make sure that you're doing all that stuff and we'll get to you know into more specifics about self-care in a second here that was so great why thank you that was very well done yeah um so the next piece is everybody that's feeling traumatic stress not everybody then experiences post-traumatic stress syndrome, which is PTSD that people throw around all the time. Sometimes things will land as a trauma and get stuck. And then sometimes, even if they land as a trauma, but there's something about the way you're processing and there's something about the way that you're sharing your feelings or moving through or... Um, able to allow some maybe a healthier narrative or whatever that looks like for you. Maybe you have people around you supporting you, loving you. Maybe you have a routine that works for you. Um, But for the people that you don't sense that it's getting a little bit better every day, which post-traumatic stress the experience is you're not feeling it lift a little bit every day. You're not feeling a little bit more like yourself every day. and Or you might have uh, more episodic experiences where, you know, when you start to think about something, you go into those symptoms that are represented by post-traumatic stress. I also think, and I just want to say this, I think in general, uh, and we've seen an increase in this uh, as it relates to like TikTok and other social media outlets, People are talking about this. You know, I, I hear a lot of people saying, I'm so manic today. Well, nope, that's not what manic is. And it's really, really rough for people who are. And it's almost uh, minimizing of that experience for people who do have true manic episodes. I would say the same thing about trauma. I think a lot of people are like, I have PTSD. Um, PTSD has criteria to it from a clinical perspective, right? There have to be some symptoms. There have to be some associations that cause some impairment in functioning or thought or or just general ability to live your life as they were. They would be they would get intrusive. You know, it's interesting. I always talked about um, I've talked before about how uh, when I was probably 
I don't know, maybe four. Um, I, my my family had horses, and we used to tie them out uh, onto some posts in the in the uh, somewhere on our, our parents' farm, so they could graze on the grass. And I was walking my horse back one day, and a cop car who was following a, a drug dealer of some kind on my gravel road in Albert Lee, Minnesota. Um, they turned on their siren. My horse pulled me into the middle of the road. I couldn't hold on. And I, I just sat there. So the cop car grazed my head. Um, and I found myself, um, even up until a few years ago, I would take my kids and like push them against a, a, the, the building wall um, in order to, you know, whenever I heard a cop car or a siren. And my older daughter finally said, why do you do that? And I said, well, so we don't get hit. And she's like, we're not going to be a hit on the sidewalk. And I'm like, Oh, so now I know where that comes from. And it dawned on me. I didn't even I wasn't even aware that my body was keeping that score. And to this moment, um, I do when I hear a siren, I have this immediate arousal. I have this immediate like panic. Um, And then I think, okay, I know what that is. Take a deep breath. They're not going to hit you. Although one fire truck was heading right toward me because they had to get through the lane. Um, And I'm like, okay, this one's going to hit me. I'm right about my fear. But, you know, that's part of what PTSD looks like for people. And so pay attention to yourself as it relates to. And and I want to say, like, if you have previous trauma, this can exacerbate that. It can complicate your emotions. The, The multiple losses that people experience or the multiple tragedies or traumas that people have in their life. It can really, again, exacerbate symptoms, make them more complicated, make it much more difficult to ascertain or determine, like, what is the source of this particular experience I'm having? Because it could be some stuff. We know about grief that previous losses can come up with new losses and make them more, again, intense. Or or compounds. Compounds, for sure. Right. Um, I wanted to say something that is so, I mean, horrific. Were you going to make a siren sound? I have a siren trauma too. <laughs> but I was just thinking about that, and um, it's you know. So in 2014, um, we brought our whole family, the little ones too. Our boys were like five and seven, and we went to Israel because, of course, like that was the trauma. Yeah. But when we went there, and it was also like rockets coming in all the time. It was in the middle of a war. Because I every time I go there, there seems to be something horrible happening. But um, every Israeli, they have these, um, their closets are sort of bomb shelters as well. I'm sure a lot of people in the Middle East have the same thing. And so we didn't tell the boys that ever, we were in the middle of a war. And um, their siren for you've got 90 seconds to get into your bomb shelter. And they're everywhere. Like it's, you're always pretty much a minute and a half away from one. But I remember that whole two weeks where we were there and we were just like, we would hear it. We were at the beach. We would like grab our kids like footballs and run into the bathroom. And I remember just like there were, all, you know, and there was this really sweet moment actually where it's just when you know, this beauty of humanity that people were uh, like ushering all of the kids and the moms and the grandmas into the bathroom. And then you could literally see the rockets coming in and you could see the iron dome blowing them up but the little kids were just like bonding and connecting and they were like looking like my boys were like looking at you know seashells with each other that was really sweet and meeting some friends but the one thing that i wanted to say was i was actually okay my nervous system was okay in that craziness and then when i got back to minnesota 
And the every first Wednesday of every month at 1 p.m., the tornado siren, just the practice went off. I freaked the fuck out. I was like, hands and knees, where are my children? It was like my body. And I was like, oh my God, that's right. I'm in Minnesota. Our kids are at school. Everything's fine. But my PTSD didn't start until a month after I got home. But you know, Talia, what I wonder about is the the control factor. Mm. Like when you're in it and you have control of it and you know what's going on and you're seeing it. And everyone around you is sort of in on it. You're never alone. It's like, oh, we're at a mall. We're in whatever. Everyone is like, are you okay? Let's go together. And just being like. And it speaks to the reality that, you know, you're not with your family in Israel right Mm -hmm. now. And so that lack of control or lack of knowing what's going on with any of your family members. That's such a good point. Is harder. It just is. And so I think that's probably part of that. But I'm not surprised that that monthly Wednesday at 1 p.m. I think it is tornado warning. Right. And it's over now a decade later. Yeah. But it's that. But you know what's interesting, and I'm going to date myself here. Um, I don't know how this happened because I'm only 25, but again, 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 I I know I love it. Um, But I will tell you that I grew up in and I remember in elementary school, we would have to go out into the hallway and like hover and crouch and like, you know, put our hands over our heads like this um, and our head between our knees. And I realized that was in preparation for the possibility of nuclear weaponry. Um, And I look back now and I think, oh, my God. Like, I think oh my God. what we do to kids. But even now, like, I will have people coming into my office talking about their preschoolers having, like, an active shooter drill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. then their five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old yeah. can't sleep through the night anymore. And they're screaming in the middle of the night. Like, that's... Yeah, I remember, you know, and and absolutely the drill. And I remember after a school shooting, my younger child uh, at high school, like they spent the day instead of learning about whatever the topic was, um, they rearranged the classroom uh, so that the whatever shooter could possibly go into that high school um, could not see them. And it horrified me to find out that that was how an hour was spent. And yet, folks... There's a part of me that's really grateful as well. Like, I was grateful for it. Like, I don't want my child to be seen. I don't want the shooter, a potential shooter, to see that there's kids in that classroom. So I appreciate that the teacher did that. But it is traumatizing for people to imagine what might happen. But I got to tell you, you know, you talk about the Iron Dome. uh, And I have had other Jewish people that I know who have traveled. And they talk about these bunkers. And so when the siren goes off, you go to the nearest one. Yeah. And they're kind of everywhere. They're everywhere. We don't live that way in this United States. I do believe that with... With all of the public shootings and the mass shootings that have happened, all of us are a little more apprehensive and we kind of watch ourselves a little bit or we're probably a little bit more vigilant to the sound of a popping gun uh, um, or whatnot. So I I feel like this conversation we're having could go on and on and on in a number of different ways. And we're certainly not going to be able to cover all, all of it. But I want each of you, all of our viewers, no matter where you are in the world, you know, really think about what we're talking about, like in terms of that physiological sort of reaction to things, whether it's a siren once a month, whether it's, you know, preparation for a school shooting, whether it's, you know, an update to the doors of the school, which happened as well in in one of my child's schools. Um, And probably any veteran on 4th of July. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're just like... That is real. Well, in Bessel van der Kolk's research, um, the book starts out explaining a little bit about people who had had injuries in war. And if they heard a, a sound that triggered that same sort of 
bomb experience or or shooting, like they would start limping if they had been hit in their leg. You know, even though that wasn't a real thing. And so it's a fascinating thing that we do with memory. It's a fascinating thing with how things work. It's fascinating to me that still when I hear a siren, I have to take a deep breath. Like I have to make sure I get out of the way. Um, I had an ambulance as I was driving into the studio today with my buddy Jeff and John. Um, I I found myself, there was an ambulance behind me and I'm like, all right, I have to really watch that ambulance to make sure it doesn't hit me. Um, And it's such a stupid thing, right? Like the likelihood of that happening is really, really low. But because that car, you know, grazed grazed my head, um, it's still, it's kind of always with me, Mm -hmm. except the goal here. And I always tell people, you know, with PTSD, it's not about like making those feelings go away or those sensations going away. It's really about finding Mm -hmm. a way to manage those at the time. And it takes me just a second to realize, okay, I know what's going on. I still watch the vehicle that has the siren on it, to be honest, but, um, you know, it's my way of managing it. It's vigilance too. (laughs) And also, I mean, that's such a good point because I mean, we're, we're moving into the self care piece of this and of course, self care during trauma or global crisis or whatever's happening does not mean, Oh, everything's going to be fine. Or, That means everything's hunky-dory and just go live your best life. What it means is this is horrible. There isn't a silver lining necessarily, but I will tell you, if you isolate, if you watch this horrific media on repeat all the time, like there are ways to make it worse. And I know I'm thinking about my poor mom. For my mom... She might not want to feel better because she might want to feel like she is an Israeli in the diaspora wanting to feel connected to the pain of her family. Right. I mean, there are reasons why people don't want to do the self-care and I want to honor that. But the self-care that I'm wanting to promote is that no matter how horrible things are around you. If you take care of yourself. That's the only piece you can control. If you are well enough to have a self-care routine, to allow people around you to love you or allow um, this community to hold you, it makes a huge difference. It doesn't mean everything's going to be okay, but if you are getting good sleep and you have nutrition and you're able to face the world in a slightly better headspace, it, that also has a ripple effect. For sure. And, you know, I think one of the pieces that we've covered already, but is really critically important is not to ignore those feelings that you're having. And we're talking both emotionally and physically. Like, again, pay attention to your body, understand what's happening with that and pay attention to your emotional experience. And, and again, there are times when, you know, the symptoms are not going away. You can't really manage those. Your sleep is really disturbed. You're not able to go to work. You're not able to get out of bed. You're feeling some of those things that Talia uh, covered at the beginning in terms of symptoms like diminished pleasure and activities, typical depressive symptoms, right? It is important to ask for help at that point and determine kind of where that balance is. But the bottom line is really pay attention. Try not to stuff those emotions. You know, I, you know, we always talk about the fact that, you know, suppression or repression of our experience will inevitably come out a different way and it does 
it either comes out in bad physical health and stress and strain, um, or it comes out toward, you know, strained relationships because we're taking it out on those people closest to us. And because we are a relationship based podcast, you know, this is so much about like, make sure you're taking care of yourself because if you don't, as we've said many times, everybody else does have to take care of you. Like there's going to be a rippling effect. There's going to be damage to your home. There's going to be damage to your family and relationships and strain. And you don't want that to happen. So try as hard as it is, uh, to be honest about what that emotional experience is. And you're not alone. I mean, I guess that's one of the things that I always want to say, like, you know, I, I just think it's really important to know that we are all in this together. And the more we can talk about it, the better. Acknowledging that we've had a really hard time given, you know, our political landscape here in the U.S. in particular, very hard time. And even this issue that we're talking about with the Middle East, um, the reality is it's hard to talk about, you know, because everyone has an opinion or everybody has heard something or everybody has their own points of view on this. But you know, bottom line, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could treat other people the way we'd like to be treated. But bottom line about the recovery process, if you can be honest about your feelings, you're going to be in better shape. Find a way to express them. And I'd love to give people permission to not relive the horror again and again, over and over, and to just think about is it okay to allow myself to be distracted and to have a good laugh and to read a book and make a delicious dinner and watch a comedy? And yes, it absolutely is okay for you to do that. Um, play with your kids. There's no better way to be present. Play with your animals. It's okay for you to feel a joy and relief and be connected to this moment that doesn't mean you're a callous horrible person or like have that survivor guilt set in or feel like you're not paying attention to the misery or that you are that sheep with a red bucket that is my <laughs> my mascot my yep. avatar yep. You know, and I'll say, um, I think one of the things that is is so coming up for me about this, and, and I got triggered by something you said, Talia, about um, being able to like have fun or laugh or whatnot during times like this. And, you know, even even our beginning of how we do this, we usually banter about things that are going on. And I, you know, I had things going on that could have been fun to talk about and share with our viewers. I, I know you did as well. But it doesn't feel almost right to do that when people are suffering so dramatically. And again, uh, there's a lot of places in this world where that's happening. But of course, we're, we're having this particular discussion based on not only a very personal experience for you and your family, but also how heightened this issue is right now, um, not forgetting what else is going on in, in different places as well. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because even uh, as people know who have been watching our podcast, we do this thing at the end like... We're not fine, but um, at least there's a buy one get one ice cream in your <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that feels really dumb to do today. Yeah. Like I we have we have something we were gonna say um as I drink my pumpkin spice coffee. Right. Everything um, feels a little bit like it's gonna fall flat. Well it right? feels and flat and I don't feel like I'm even our energy, I'm kinda curious what viewers will think about that. Like I think we're a little somber today. I think we're you know, we're feeling a little bit uh less animated. Um than usual. Although Maybe. I will tell you something. I'm having a really interesting experience that I wanted to bring up even just at the I was going to bring it up at the end. Yeah. But Doug and I started this episode feeling shaky and emotional. I'm a little emotional. It's okay, Doug. But there's something that's happening that I feel like is really healing. 
about doing this together. And I feel so supported and loved by you. And I just wanted to acknowledge. I love you. So. It's it's wonderful not to feel alone. And you're never alone. I love you. I was going to save that till the end, so I didn't do this, but. It's Here really okay to do that, which, you know, for people viewing um, kind of what the emotional experience is, of course, it's really normal. And I appreciate you sharing that, sweetheart. Yeah. Like, I feel, I feel so partnered and connected doing this. We were even like, fuck it, let's not even do the episode. So I'm going to share that I told Tully I want to rip the sign out from behind us today and not do this episode because I did not think it would go well um, because I, I was walking a little on eggshells because um, I can't support you enough. Right. So I'm glad that you feel that in the context of this. And so, um, yeah. yeah. And I think it's important for people to see what you're experiencing too right now. It's it's healing to, to I'm glad do to it hear together. That. So, um, where where were we? I'm going to go back to routine, um, and you know what we were talking about is you know even the routine of doing this podcast. Uh, we have a typical way that we do it, and it is not the way um, that this one will go today. I don't feel like talking about pumpkin spice uh, <laughs> because how privileged it is of me to be able to go to a Starbucks or Caribou and and grab a coffee that I just love i don't even usually put shit in my coffee at all i love cold i know brew. you don't i never ever do but i, know, I love so the pumpkin spice I'm so a pumpkin spice hater you so are we gonna, we were you are a hater we need to talk about hate i know um but you know i want to talk about routine guys so uh and i mean that just generally i'd call everybody guys um you know the routine thing of eat sleep exercise i i tend to you know say that a lot on this podcast it's really critical like when you're when you're struggling when you are emotional when you when things are going on and there's stressors in your life by all means you need to sleep well and establish good sleep hygiene i'll call it where you know making sure you go to bed at a decent time do everything you need to do to you know get to sleep and, and get some sleep um, make sure you are exercising in whatever way your body can. Uh, there's always something to do that people can do. It doesn't have to be like a big, you know, workout, um, but just getting a walk or, or getting outside and getting some fresh air in whatever way that might be helpful. Um, and then, of course, you know, eating well if you can. And I think sometimes I'm as easy. I, I'm as prone to eating a pizza as anybody else. I had pizza on Friday night. Um and I love it. But, you know, frankly, the carbs are not great. And frankly, I'm gluten intolerant in some ways. So and what um, happens whenever Doug has gluten, which he loves so much, is all of a sudden his energy is like, oh. I would be falling asleep right now if I had pizza this morning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, create routine. And I think one of the pieces and I'm going to I'm going to share with everybody. And we've talked about this in a previous episode. Like um, I have found myself with my practice and my podcast and, you know, some other things that are going on. Um, I have found myself really needing to increase my rigidity of my schedule um, and I say harsh words like that like I get to I have to be really rigid I have you're to do like, the I'm shutting down I'm my shutting life. down my life I'm like I feel like you're just cleaning house and simplifying and you're like no no I'll call it because I'm a, I get a little, you know I'm a little harsh about my verbiage sometimes and shutting down means like not doing as much only spending time with people who replenish me which by the way um, when we talk about self-care as well this is about only, you know, surround yourself by the people who can support you and don't challenge you and don't diminish your experience. Surround yourself with people who can be supportive in the way that you need. 
And I think we all know what that means. I mean, it might it might be that you distance yourself from family. What we were just talking about that is uh, in our crew to this morning, like, you know, there are differences of opinions about what's going on in the world right now. And so I think there is the reality that if you, you end up talking with someone about something and it just hurts or you feel disregarded, those are not the people right now to surround yourself with. So establish healthy routines, not only for yourself, but for your social and work life as well. And the final piece there is because this is such a nervous system piece that it's not a great time to make big decisions in your life. Like put major decisions. And even, you know, Doug, you were saying that you just get like foggy. I get really foggy. When we're hijacked, when our brains, when we're not well. When we're not fine. When we're not fine. Wait till you're fine-er to make these major decisions. And also, if your self-care, if you're getting a little bit better every day and you're feeling more yourself, your perspective is different. You, have you ever heard perspectacles? I really love that. It's probably... Is that what you're wearing on your face today? These are perspectacles that... um. It's the idea that depending on your headspace, you see things so differently. And so the self-care is crucial for getting yourself to a place where you can see it in the healthiest way possible and face whatever it is. Do you want to know what just dawned on me? Qua. We named this podcast, We Are Not Fine, for this very reason. You know, we named it this podcast because in light of what's going on in the world, in light of current events, um, none of us are fine. We are all impacted. So I was very struck as you were talking. And then I realized it's like right here. That's what we're doing. That's what this is all about. And I think, you know, the word fine, as my patients know, means fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and over-emotional. And so we were six months in before you told me that. I I did. What? (laughs) What? <laughs> but, you know, the interesting piece about it is I just think if we're really honest with ourselves, of course, we're not fine all the time. Of course, we're not OK all the time. And we have to be able to acknowledge those times. I'm not somebody who thinks we should sweep under the rug any particular thing. Um, so let's run into like maybe some uh, challenges that people have in providing some support. And I think one of the things and, you know, it's really interesting to me um, that I will be with somebody talking about some trauma or some life event. And I, without question, have cried with my clients or gotten emotional with my clients. Um, and, and there's particular triggers <laughs> for me. I've worked in the uh, world of HIV and AIDS since the early times when people died um, consistently. And I realize people can still die of this illness. But, you know, the reality is I have a lot of trauma about working with people during that time and watching people die so rapidly and over and over and over and having very hurtful political dynamics going on about funding for research and, and supporting gay people in general. Um, Not that we were the only people affected because we weren't. But I think there's a a component of this that, you know, in terms of uh, that experience, I've always had to kind of watch. Like, I don't want to sit and babble um, about about stuff and, and make it all about me. And I think that's one of the things that's very easy to do for people is that, you know, it's uh, we don't want to make the the situation when somebody is needing some support, like, you know, as Tali and I just uh, embraced and, and she felt my support. You know, I, I don't want to make that about me. Um, it was about you and it was about supporting you. 
the careful thing I want to say about this or the caution I would have is that it's equally important to have an emotional experience. You get to, you know, one of the benefits of like group therapy is mutual aid. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really helpful for people to know that they're not alone and they also feel that pain. Um, but to take on somebody else's pain, assume what it is, um, try to fix it, etc. I don't encourage it. I was thinking about maybe two examples um, of people that are well-meaning, but it, you know, sort of falls flat in situations where, you know, people are like, oh, my gosh, I've had a similar experience, um, whereas that experience to the person that you're telling did not at all feel similar, and it makes them feel like you don't in fact know at all what I'm experiencing. Um, but the way that I was thinking about this is um, I had this professor in grad school that said something that I really appreciated. That was like, you know what, you're human, have human reactions, just as therapists, right? If you're, yep. if you're welling up, well up. We are human said, beings, yes. We're very human, but what I've always been aware of, what he said um, that I really loved is you can well up, but try not to spill over because there is something about when our emotional response feels bigger than the person that's in direct crisis, that even if we are the most wonderful, well-meaning people in the world, it, they have to comfort us. And so, I mean, Doug and I hear the most horrible, traumatic stories all the time. And we have to balance, like, being human and then having somebody that we're sitting across from us being really vulnerable feel like now they have to make us feel better about what we're experiencing about their trauma. Yep. Another sort of example would be like some of us who maybe have family members or friends that like if we're worried about something or anxious about something, they're more worried or more anxious. And we don't want to tell them because then we have to manage their anxiety about our anxiety. Like if we have to go to the doctor because there's a lump like and there are people who we probably wouldn't tell because we'd have to manage their anxiety. So. I, I'm trying to think of what, oh, and maybe the, the other piece there is like, we might want to fix it so badly that we're going to say things like, well, look at the bright side, or at least dot, 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 or. Or it's God's will, or. Or it's God's will, or sometimes even yeah. in this very, I mean, like a very, very personal reaction, right, is. Sometimes it's sort of like when I think about um, George Floyd and then I think of the all lives matter and how incredibly hurtful that was. I think about um, there isn't an easy way to talk about that feeling that like, of course, all lives matter. But in right. this particular moment, it just is such a fuck you that it's almost like we have to be aware of the time and the place and who we're talking to and how they're feeling and what they're needing and how tone deaf such comments can be in really particular situations. And so just to be paying attention to how we can comfort and love the people in need 
even if you have this overarching sense of like, yes, well, dot, 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 here's the other side. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it takes away. I mean, I think one of the things that I and it, it, it kind of became the 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 response to all lives matter as it relates to black lives matter. And that's the you know, it's missing the whole point to say that the truth is everybody does hurt and everybody has pain and all lives, of course, matter. But that's missing the point of the specific harm that's done to minorities in this case. That's right. um, I also want to say, you know, one of the things that I have noticed people getting frustrated with is that like people will have a really, really crappy day or they'll have a really bad circumstance happen. And the person that they're talking to will say, oh, I totally get it. This is going on for me. Um, and I remember one of the things that, you know, triggered me at one point I had an interaction with someone where I'd had somebody die of AIDS related causes and I I had talked to that person about it and they said oh I totally understand I had this woman who did not like the color that she had on her hair and I had to redo it come on and I remember just staring like they're not the same that may be the worst example I've ever heard of that situation that's like horrifying it is a fact um, oh my God. So, you know, I think there's a part of this that, you know, you don't want to like also take away from that person's experience, which, again, the all lives matter comment can be. We all know that all lives matter. Come on. Come on. Um, so I think there's a part where at the end of the day, just make sure you don't try to like overdo the other person or have a different, more difficult experience them. or yeah, one up them related or like, to. Well, it could be worse. At least blah, blah, blah. All of those at least we don't have pumpkin things. spice. That is our sign off. <laughs> How, is that offensive? You've got to write in. No, I don't, no. Today it would be. I don't. It would. I, today it feels. It feels offensive. But you know, the point of that is there's always some silver lining to one's life. If we're still breathing, we have something to be grateful for. But that's we, the point of that. That is the point of that. However, I would say we can't be the ones to remind the person in crisis of all the things they have to be grateful for. Do you agree? That is correct. There we have it. Um, I feel like maybe the idea is usually unless the person in crisis is asking for help, which I would say that. OK, this I know I'm like contradicting myself. If you love someone in crisis or going through shit, let them free. Oh, no, that's a different saying. OK, if they're struggling and you say like I'm thinking about even someone like right now in this crisis or if they've like lost a loved one if they just got diagnosed with cancer if whatever horrible thing right this moment and you're saying let me know if I can help that is different than saying honey pick between a b and c do you want DoorDash for tonight Yes. Do you want me to come over and take care of your baby for five hours while you need to do other stuff? Do you want me to um, come over and clean the house? Do you want me to blah, blah, blah? You have to pick one of these things. You know, like I'm coming to be there for you regardless, because the emotional burden of being like, I, I don't know how you can help me right now. I'm circling yep. a drain. Like, and sometimes people don't want advice or to feel better. What they want is a compassionate witness, um, a rub, a rub on the back and just. Or my tater tot hot dish. Which is always the right answer. I literally always, when uh -huh. in doubt, when in doubt, 
Have me make tater tot hot dish for you. I will, I will even feed it to you. This is what I want to say, too. Um, I think all that you just said is critically important, and I think it's important not to um, maybe make assumptions, too. Like, one of the things that I've told people, like, you know, oftentimes people in my office will say, I don't know what to say to my partner. I don't know what to say to my girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse or my friend around these issues. And it is okay to say, how can I be most supportive to you? Yes. It is okay to open up that open-ended question. In fact, I think it's a golden question. Um, and it's fascinating how many times uh, I've had people kind of model that in the office when I'm doing relationship work. And it'll be fascinating for people say, thank you for asking. Yeah. And I can ask you for exactly what I need because I think people make guesses about that. Like I just did about tater tot hot dish. Um, Always the right answer. <laughs> and what, what else he's saying too. But ask, you know, just ask, like, what is it that I can do to be supportive? And, you know, we're getting a little off track about the very, very serious nature of people who have lost people in any number of tragedies that have happened in recent years, including this one. But I also think that there's a point at which the same applies. How can I be supportive? I did not make you a tater tot hot dish. I apologize. Well, then I take back everything. You can take back everything you said about the support. I did find this really interesting graph that you mentioned that you saw before. I hadn't seen it before, and I really liked it. So clinical psychologist Susan Silk, she created the ring theory, which is um, a model for caring. It's basically a model for caring that I really appreciated. And the general rule is... Picture, okay, I'm going to tell you the general rule, is comfort in and dumping out. So picture concentric circles. Like a bullseye. Like a bullseye, that's exactly right. Where like in the middle of the bullseye is the person, I'm on the wrong page here, in the center ring. It's the person or people who are most directly affected, those who have lost family members, those who, you know, their loved ones were just murdered or held hostage or this moment in time got that cancer diagnosis, whatever. That's the central center of the circle. And then I want you to picture that there's a spotlight, a flashlight right there on the center as we move towards the outer rings. The next ring are the close relatives. The next ring, true friends. The next ring, acquaintances like neighbors, colleagues, distant relatives, casual friends. The next circle, maybe caregivers who are professionally involved as sources of support and assistance. Um, So doctors, nurses, therapists, um first responders i'm thinking of like teachers um i don't know can you think of anyone else postal carriers housekeepers thank you thank you but um dry cleaners the people that the tragedy doesn't exactly touch their personal lives but they right. are support members in the community and then the outermost circle is community members bystanders they might be interested in this family they might be interested in the culture in the people in the situation but they don't have a direct or personal or professional connection um 
supervisors, hospital administrators, journalists reporting the news. Um, and then, yes, imagine that spotlight right on that center ring. And so the idea is the brightest light is in the center and the direction of the arrow of comfort is always towards the center. Um, in that way, if somebody that isn't in the center has very strong feelings, is really worried, is having a lot of emotions around this, which of course we are, I am, I'm not, I'm not being directly affected. I did not lose anybody yet, thank God. I'm not living in the middle of a terrorist attack. So if I'm checking in with my family who is literally in the middle of it, I don't get to sob to them about how stressful this is to me, how I'm affected, how I'm worried, how I'm, I mean, yes, I say like, I love you. I, I'm worried about you. We're thinking about you all the time, but I am not going to burden them with my emotional experience about it. And good thing that I get everybody in my circle and the dimmer and dimmer and dimmer a little further and further away from that spotlight to be dumping and sharing all of my heartbreak. So again, the idea is that the arrows go in. We're going to have a graph in our um, show notes too, just so you see what it are looks we? Like. We are because Alex is going to do that for us. Thank okay. you. He's also going to put a siren in this somewhere. I know he is. And then see us both jump. Arrows in for comfort. Arrows out for dumping. The end. And that whole thing might work for some of you and not others. And don't feel like you need to grasp it or concept it or draw. Uh, I have had clients actually draw to understand who their supports are uh, and who their, their closest people are. Um, I just want to say, though, the, the really, really important piece about this is to not deny your feelings and not deny what your peripheral experience is as well. We are all impacted by this, even if we don't have somebody who is who has been killed in, in whatever tragedy. Um, there's a part of this where I, I think that's where, you know, acknowledging that you might need some support. Um, if you are struggling with your emotion, emotions, if you are struggling with your functioning in some way, um, you know, reach out to people. And as Talia said, it may not be the person who's in the middle of, of, of the, the terrorist attack. It really may be somebody on the peripheral like myself uh, for you or somebody else who can be supportive. But it's important that you don't disregard yourself. Our feelings are not less important. I oftentimes will have clients who say, you know, I, my, I, I shouldn't complain. Right. Um, I did not lose my family to this or, you know, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. You know, we're we can't diminish our own experience emotionally or our own losses or our own traumas. I strongly encourage everyone to know you are as valid in your experience as anybody else when it comes to all of that. thousand percent. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, again, even if you are on the outermost circle of bystander, community member, journalist, just watching from afar, especially if you're an empath, it shakes right. you to your core yep. and you are not alone. Like just because you are on the outermost circle doesn't mean you're not staying up at night worrying it. And you have so many people that would love to be talking about this experience with you. Yep. I agree. And so finding those supports becomes important. And, you know, again, guys, when we're talking about this general experience we're having, we're all a little on edge, whether we're watching it in the news or not, uh, we are all impacted by it in our lives. So, 
you know, basic piece about this is to, you know, take care of others that you care for and love, but also take care of yourself. And I will say, as someone in that second circle, I cannot tell you how much it has meant to me to have people reach out. I feel so loved and so supported. Yes, I also feel incredibly helpless and worried and panicky about all of the innocence in my family. And um, it just makes a world of difference. So if you're on the edge thinking about, like, I don't even know what to say, I will tell you one of the most powerful things that people have said to me is, I'm just checking in. I don't have words. Yeah. That's, like, literally the most beautiful. There are no words. There are no, there are no words. And so I just want to... I just want to reinforce that, that it, it does make a big difference. I mean, it doesn't make it better. It doesn't mean that things aren't like all of a sudden wonderful. Right. But I am telling you, it really does change how you feel in your own misery. So. So don't avoid others and don't avoid yourself. That's right. And thank you for tuning in. And, um, yeah, this episode was really important and really personal and really healing for me. So I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. And we love you all. And thank you so much. And we will talk to you next week. Take care.